0: Thank you for that. As was said before, my name is Clay. I'm the Associate Pastor of Redeemer at Edmond. It is good to be here with you all. I see some familiar faces, which is always nice. And I've met some very welcoming people, uh, which has been great as well. So it's good to be here. I like this pulpit. It's a little smaller than normal. I don't usually get to feel tall. So this is a great moment for me to feel a little bit taller than normal. Um, the most important and impactful best-selling book, by far, of all time, is the Bible. And the second best-selling book is a book based on the message of the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, And yet, it seems so hard for Christians, including myself, to spend consistent time in the Word of God. I mean, we're not even two months into the new year, how are you doing on your Bible reading plan for the year? Right? Right? You probably haven't kept them to the T. If you have, you're probably a little prideful, so the message isn't getting through about that. Uh, When you do spend time in the Word, it becomes often about something that we check off of our list. Something that um, rather than we look forward to communing with the creator of the world, the triune God, we simply see as another task to do on our to-do list. And if I'm really honest, reading the Bible is often... About more about avoiding the feeling of guilt from not doing it than it is about what it should be, which is hearing God speak life into us right from our Heavenly Father. But for a Christian, the Word of God is supposed to be a lifeline, it's supposed to be our lifeline for our day to day living, and yet so many of us don't view or use it that way. And the question is why. Why, for Christians, is the Word of God not the lifeline that it's meant to be in our lives? Why do we neglect it so much? And why, when we do go to it, does it seem to fail to impact us the way that it should and the way that we long for it to? I think the answer to some of these questions is that we often miss the purpose and the power of the Word of God when we go to it. The passage that was just read, that we're going to be in this morning, Isaiah chapter 55, addresses these issues. The questions we're going to uh, hopefully answer this morning are, what is the Word of God meant to do to us? What is the purpose of the Word of God for us? And how does it accomplish that? How does it produce what it's meant to do to us? Let me pray for this sermon, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Give us faith to believe in areas that we struggle, that you would open up our eyes and reveal the areas that we are blind, and that you would bring us once again back to you, that the power of your word would go out, that the spirit would move and work this morning on the spot. Would you change us? Would you transform us according to your message? in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to attack this passage starting at the end of it, the back half, and then we'll go to the front. Uh, okay, so we're going to start in verses 10 and 11. These are powerful, confident verses about the Word. Confident, powerful verses about the Word of God. And the theme is, God's Word will, without a shadow of a doubt, accomplish the purpose that He has sent it to accomplish. It's compared, the word is compared to rain and snow that fall but don't return before accomplishing the work that he sent it. That they water the earth and make it sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. These verses are meant to instill a kind of confidence in the word of God and how it works. But it also tells us a little bit about how the word of God works. It works by soaking, by nourishing from within to produce the fruit outwardly, right? These verses are in fact pretty popular verses when thinking about the Word of God. If you've read this chapter, if you've heard this chapter taught on, chances are t- verses 10 or 11 are kind of the focus of it. It's often where we stop. If you have verses from Isaiah 55 on a mirror or written down somewhere, these are probably the verses that you have. And they're they're great verses, but the problem is when you stop there, they encourage you. They give you confidence about the word of God. They give you confidence. It will accomplish the purpose that he sent it for, but you're missing something, right? If you stop here, you're missing something. You're missing. What is the purpose? What is the purpose that the word of God is meant to accomplish in us? What is, what did God send his word to do to us? Thankfully, the passage doesn't stop there. In verse 12, it explicitly tells us right at the beginning what the word of God is meant to do to us. And simply this, it's meant to send us out in joy and peace. The word of God is meant to water our souls in such a way that what springs forth inside of us is perpetual joy and peace. These are two things we all long for, isn't it? It's two things that we all desire that we constantly are seeking after. I would go so far as two things that we are made for. Made for. Our souls will not be able to rest and our hearts will not be content until we have this lasting joy and peace in our lives. I want to be clear. Joy is different from happiness. Joy is different and distinct from happiness. Happiness comes and goes with the change of our circumstances. I am dependent on my situation and often the people around me for, and their behavior for my happiness. Joy is deeper than that, though. It has roots that endure the storms that life has to give. Joy is more permanent and makes a home in your life. Happiness is good. It's not bad. But happiness is not joy. Happiness is kind of like cotton candy. It's enjoyable, it's sweet, but it's fleeting. And peace is much more, the idea and the image of peace here is much more than the absence of conflict in your life. Peace is a stillness, a quiet calm of your whole person, a total rest of your whole being. The word shalom in the Old Testament is this full person overwhelming peace of your yourself. These are the two things that the word of God is meant to do to you. And I would venture to say, if you're at all like me, uh, that while we yearn for these things, deep down, our lives are actually crowded with the opposite. Rather than joy, we are so often and easily filled with discouragement and depression I know for me, it takes the smallest thing in my life, in my week, in my day, in my last night with my kids. You can ask me details about that tomorrow after this the message. It takes the smallest thing to rob me of the joy that the word of God is meant to give and re- get replaced with total discouragement. And rather than peace, so often we are filled with anxiety and stress of what we must do, what we have to do, what's coming on our agenda to do, or we fear what will happen. As Casey pointed out, there's a lot going on. We fear about what's coming next. I know for me, if something else gets placed in my already too full schedule, it quickly squeezes out the little piece that I had in my life. As you take a quick overview of your life, are joy and peace glaringly absent from your demeanor and your experience? What comes out of the well of your heart most naturally? Is it joy and peace? Or is it discouragement and anxiety? If you're like me, it unfortunately, it tends to be the latter. So what do we need? Verse 13 has this vivid And yet unexpected picture of what is needed and what it looks like when the word of God accomplishes its purpose of producing joy and peace in our life. The image here we get are two plants. You get a thorn bush and a briar plant. What happens when you water a thorn bush? You get a bigger thorn bush, right? What happens when you water a briar plant? Class? You get a bigger briar plant, right? You get the bigger version of those when you water them. But verse 13 says something different happens. Verse 13 says that when the word of God waters, it does not simply grow the prickly, skinny plant that was already there. No, look at what it says. It transforms it into something completely different. Instead of a short, skinny, and weak thorn bush, the word word of God transforms it into a solid, deep-rooted cypress that's pleasing to the eye, that smell brings you in, and instead of the prickly, woody, and defensive briar, the word of God transforms into a beautiful myrtle, whose blossoming flowers and bright colors draw you in, and its rich aroma keeps you close. What is this telling us about the Word of God? It's telling us that the Word of God is not about making you a better version of you. But it's after completely transforming you into someone new. Someone completely different. So that's the second half of this. And so far what we've learned about the Word of God is that it will. Not that it might, not that we hope, not that it can... But that it will accomplish the purpose that God has sent it. We've learned that the purpose of the word is to send us out in joy and peace, right? Joy and peace that are different than happiness or an absence of conflict. Joy and peace that affect our whole being. that have roots that go deep down so that they can't be uprooted by the wind of life's circumstances. We've learned that the word of God doesn't simply grow us, but makes us into something new. It totally transforms us into a new creation. And now we're going to go to the beginning of the passage. And we're going to seek to answer this question, how? How does this happen? How do we transform in such a way that joy and peace come welling up from within us? What is the word that produces this transformation, this joy and peace? Is it just any word? Can you just flip open your Bible, eyes closed, look to the word and that's going to do it? Or is there something more specific than that? Is it a specific word? And right off the bat we see it's not just off it's not just any word, but it's a word of grace. Verse 1 offers that everyone come. That's it. Everyone. It doesn't say everyone who does or everyone who does not. It says everyone come. So it's a specific word of grace. And there's only one qualification that's needed. That's need. That's the only qualification is that you feel your need for him. And that you would come. So those who are spiritually hungry, those who are spiritually thirsty and bankrupt, can come, eat, and drink, and buy without money and without price. So often we think and hesitate to come to church when we feel spiritually bankrupt when we feel spiritually thirsty, when we feel distant. But the invitation is to come. To come if you feel that and buy without money and without price. The offer of the word of grace is that you bring nothing. And in return, you get everything. You don't just let, it doesn't just meet your basic needs, Right? What you get is overflowing and extravagant. That's the image here of milk and honey. It's overflowing. It's extravagant. It's lavish. It's almost showing off of what you get. This is the offer. This is the word of God, the word of grace that is meant to fill us. But verse 2 quickly exposes our tendency. Exposes the reason why so often we miss out that the the impact of the word of God, the word of grace is meant to have on us. We try to fill ourselves through our money, through our efforts, instead of with his grace. We try to quench our spiritual need through our own efforts and what we do. We try to find everlasting joy and peace through our works, abilities, accomplishments. But we know and we have experienced what verse 2 tells us, right? That doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy, it does not last. While we may be able to gain immediate happiness and while we may be able to relieve some of the conflict that's going on in the moment in our life, we can't find everlasting joy and peace that we long for through what we do. No matter how much money you make, how much weight you lose, how high you get promoted, how good your kids turn out, how much your spouse changes, no matter how healthy you eat, how well you organize your schedule, how many goals you're able to meet, they will never deal with what you really need. Those are good things. Don't mishear me. Those are great things to be pursued, but they will never produce and give you the joy and peace that you are made for and that you long for because they never deal with what you really need, with what is really wrong. The call of this passage is simple to listen. The call of this passage is to listen diligently. Incline your ear to the message of grace that the word of God has for you. And here's the word. God makes an everlasting covenant of his never-ending, always-pursuing rich love with you. He promises loving, gracious, and personal presence in your life always. Always. You you didn't do anything to earn it. It's not a wage. It's a gift. And because it's not a wage and because you didn't do anything to earn it, listen to me. You can't do anything to lose it. You can't do anything to lose that loving presence in your life. This word is the root of our joy and our peace. No matter the circumstances in our life, no matter the state of our heart or our behavior and struggles, God's loving presence is always with us and being poured out towards us. This is the hope and assurance that we all long for, God's promised presence persistently in our lives. If Paul, the writer of the New Testament, much of it were here, he would burst out and say, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? If God is for us, who can be against us? The call, then, in verse 6 is to come, seek him now. While he may be found, call upon him in his presence while he is near. Do not wait. Do not delay. Do not sit in your doubts and your worries, but come. Don't let guilt and shame and fear keep you away. Bring your guilt. Bring your shame, bring your doubts and your fear, bring your sin to him now and you will be filled. Look at what verse seven says you will experience when you do come to him. When you and I repent, when we return to the Lord, turn away from our sin and come back to him. We find a God who has compassion on us. But more than that, a God who abundantly pardons us. And don't miss the power of what's being said here. When we repent our sin and turn towards him, we experience his love subjectively and objectively is what verse 7 is telling us. Subjectively, God is compassionate towards sinners who come to him. He's compassionate towards them in their sin as they come to him. He is not standing far off with his arms crossed in disappointment. Saying, it's about time. How long are you going to let that devastation happen over and over again? Why didn't you come to me sooner? No, he doesn't do that. He's near. He bends down towards you. He lifts up your head as he embraces you. When you encounter the real God, the message of the word of God in your sin, this is your subjective experience of him. And when it happens, joy wells up in your heart into an overflowing spring. Objectively, God abundantly pardons you from your sin. As he is near and embracing you, he pronounces what is true. That you're not just pardoned from your past sins, but you are abundantly pardoned. So that when you come to him again and again... And again, you get the same proclamation of forgiven as you experience His embrace. When you encounter the real God, the message and the power of the word of God in your sin, this objective truth is for you. And this is what provides the roots that produce the peace that doesn't go away according to the ups and downs of life. And if you sit there and you're either like, well, I've kind of heard this before. It's a simple message. Or you're like, how can this be? I know the extent of my sin. I know how long it's been since I've come to him. I've gone through the motions, right? But I haven't really come to him. How can this be? It seems too good to be true. I don't understand how and why God could treat me this way. I'm not convinced that he does. This might be for other people, but maybe not for me. The passage anticipates our struggle to believe it in verses 8 and 9, where it says, his ways are not our ways. Right? It's hard for us to believe, I think, though, for a few reasons. I think, one, it's hard for us to believe because no other relationship works even close to this. No other relationship works in this way where all we bring and can offer are our sin, our wrongs, our faults, our weaknesses, our fears, our shortcomings... And then all we get in return is genuine, unending love and forgiveness from being known to the death of who we are. Nobody loves like this. Nobody loves like this. So I think that's one reason why we struggle to believe. But I think the second reason is because we don't even treat ourselves this way. Right? We don't even talk to ourselves this way. I mean we know how bad we really really are. We know how dark our thoughts can go in the closets that we don't let anybody see. Sure we can come to church and we know how to play the game and things to say, smiles we can put on, but we know deep down who we are and the truth is is we're terrified of being found out. And the way that we talk to ourselves is according to those thoughts that are dark, according to the mess-ups that nobody else knows. Right? And we make sure we pay for it. And lastly, I think it's hard for us to believe because we know God hates sin. And he does. We know God is holy and he is. We know that we don't deserve to have his love, forgiveness, and we don't. How can he have compassion on me and my sin? How can he pardon me? And how can he pardon me abundantly? Some sins I can understand him forgiving me for but not this one or not when I do it this many times, right? The answer, I think, for us is found partly why you can do this in the first verse. It's interesting that the invitation is to come with your need, your lack, without anything, without money. But it still says for you to buy. It still says for you to buy wine and to buy milk. In other words, the concept of purchase is not thrown out even though it's free to us. And even though we have nothing to buy it with. Why talk about buying something that is offered to us as free? Because while, given, while we are given something costly for free, that doesn't mean that it was not purchased by someone else for you. The Word of God is not simply a message of grace, in other words... It's pointing us to the person of grace. It's the person who was in the beginning. As John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus Christ's from whom all grace and all truth come from. Jesus, the word of God, the word and person of grace, is the source of our joy and peace. It is in him that we come empty-handed and buy without money. He became poor in order to make us risk. He experienced deep spiritual hunger that we would be filled abundantly When Jesus, the word of God, was accused, insulted, spit on, yelled at, and wrongly convicted, it was then that the word was silent when he hung on the cross. Jesus, the word, was sent down from heaven like snow and rain, and he did not return until he accomplished the purpose that he came. What was that purpose? To secure for you and for me the everlasting covenant promise in our passage. The everlasting covenant of never ending love and forgiveness in verse 3. So, what does that mean? It means it's finished. So, let that fill your sponge, the sponge of your heart this morning. Let it fill the sponge of your heart in such a way that you are dripping in the joy and peace of being united to this kind of God, to this kind of Savior, to the Word of God. the exhortation is verse 1. Come. Return to him. Come to him. Everyone. Come to him. Bring your doubts. Bring your shame. Bring your fear and your guilt. Bring your struggles. Bring your loss. Come to him empty-handed. Come with your thirst. Come with your hunger. Come with no money. And buy milk and wine. Confess your sin. repent. Experience the subjective compassion that our God is towards sinners who come to him and bask in the beauty of the proclamation that he has over you of forgiven, of it is finished. Seek him now while I may be found.